The following message, entitled Faith for God's Church, part one of the series, O Church Arise, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 3rd of January, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Saving Grace Church. Thanks for coming this morning. Quick announcement. Sunday morning Bible study is postponed uh, until further notice. Bob is going to be focusing on some other things temporarily. So those of you who come to that can talk to Bob about that, about when it may start. Anybody notice anything different on the stage? Doesn't it look great? The, um, the reason that we have this is because we're going to be beginning a new teaching series on 1 Corinthians, which is focusing on the church, which is the house, household of God, or the family of God. And we're calling it, O Church, Arise, because 1 Corinthians is calling the church to rise up to what it is in Christ. And so, um, our design team has put this together, first of all, um, Greg King donated and this this lumber and brought it in. Tim McKelvey built these things. Isn't that cool? And actually, here's a picture of Tim McKelvey, right here, if you can see it. Um, our design team is Rochelle King and Jane Mundorf and Gina Fortushnik and Sarah Altrogi and. Sean McGochran, and didn't they do a great job? I just, I, I love this. I just think it's really cool. This is the best our stage has ever looked in the history of our church. It's really, and uh, Brielle King today, I asked her what she thought about it, and, and she really impressed me because she said, I think it's groovy. And I said, Brielle, I used to say that in the 70s. I'm, I, so I told Greg what a great job he has done raising his daughter that she would say this is groovy. So I, I love this groovy um, design, really. It, it, it's really nice. So, and this carpet I'm standing on, I don't know if you've noticed this, this turquoise carpet. It's so soft I may lay down on it as I'm <laughs> preaching. Well, this morning, as I said, we're beginning a new series on 1 Corinthians. We're calling it, O Church, Arise. And we got the title from a modern hymn by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend. And at first, we were thinking about calling the series, The Messiest Place on Earth. And it was a twist on a Charles Spurgeon quote, in which Charles Spurgeon in one of his messages called the church the dearest place on earth. And it is the dearest place on earth to God, to Jesus Christ. But it's also very often a messy place. And 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church was messy. They had big problems and serious sin. In fact, if we had been in that church, we might have been tempted to say, are you really Christians? Are you really a Christian, you who are doing this? You who are taking your brother to, to court and suing him? Are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian, you 
who are living in sin with your father's wife. I mean, they had serious problems, but they were really Christians. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to this church that had lots of sin and problems, and he's saying, arise and become what you are in Christ. Become what Jesus has declared you to be in Him. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation if you have believed in Jesus Christ. If you have believed in Him as the Bible says He is. God who became man, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross to pay for our sins as we heard this morning, and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven as Lord of lords. If you believe in Him and call upon His name, you are a new creation. It doesn't matter what you are struggling with, how you may fail. That doesn't mean you should just be content to be sinning. But if you are struggling with sin, this hopefully will encourage you because Paul is going to challenge all of us. Rise up, church! And that's why I really... This is so creative because not only does the design show different faces, different kinds of people because... All kinds of people make up the church. The household of God. And so, I love this, that this is not only a roof of a house, the house of God, but it's also an arrow that points up. And the design team consciously thought of that. And I think that's so cool. Because God calls us to rise up to what we are in Him. To not settle for a sinful life or a passive life. In Galatians, God says, I, Paul said this, but it's the Lord telling us who we are in Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, In 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the church, you are new creations. The old has passed away. Oh, church, arise. Live as you are in Christ. Live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Paul Paul was not discouraged by the Corinthians' sins. This is incredible. He had faith for the church. He knew who they were in Christ and who they could be. And so this message is titled, Faith for God's Church. Faith for God's Church. Paul saw the church through the lens of faith. Just down the road, one way or another, on Wayne Avenue, is the Kowalczyk Center. This beautiful convention center. Years ago, those of you who live in town know that it was a junkyard. 
I drove by there. Our, our church, we used to meet down there next to Haas's restaurant. I drove by that junkyard thousands of times. I would often think, why don't they do something with this or put a fence up? It was just massive, rusting junk and railroad ties. All you could see is these mounds of rusting metal. And someone might have looked at that property and said, this property is a waste. This is hopeless. Yet, some architect or someone with vision for that property looked at it and could see a conference center. A beautiful conference center. And, and God has a vision and a plan for His church no matter how many problems it has. So Paul looked at the Corinthian church and he didn't see it as a junkyard. He didn't see it as a mounds of rusting Christian lives. He saw it with hope and with vision. And that's how God sees His church. And we should have faith for the church. For our church. For our lives. I mean, we're gonna, we, we are not free from problems. We are not free from challenges. We are not free from conflicts. We are not free from sin. We have not arrived yet. We are not yet perfected in Christ. But we need to remember that God sees us with, with His eyes and His vision. And that's how we should see the church. And that's why we can be committed to the church. We may say, why would I want to be committed to something with all those problems and challenges? It's just easier for me to be by myself or with my friends. Why do I have to work through all this kind of stuff with people? Because God has a plan for His church and He sees it as a glorious church. And He's calling us through this book to arise. Now, it's not like Bob and Joe and I thought, man, our church is just terrible. We hit, this church is so bad. We better do Corinthians. No. But we just think... We think every church needs it. And we've got challenges and we need to do this. So we thought Corinthians would be good to do. So let's pray. Lord, thank You that You see us in Christ as new creations in Christ because Christ took on our sin and became sin as Your Word says so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And You see us as the righteousness of God in Christ. And You see Your church as the bride of Christ. As the body of Christ. And so Lord, help us as a church through this series to have faith for Your church. And for our own lives. And for our brothers and sisters. That we might arise and be all that You want us to be. In Jesus. Lord, we just ask You to speak to us through Your Word. Help me to, to preach Your Word and help us to, to be encouraged by Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the city of Corinth in ancient Greece was a prosperous city. And it was known to be devoted to pleasure-seeking. I don't know what parallel cities there might be. Maybe New York City, I don't know. Maybe L.A. I've never been to L.A. But it was a 
prosperous city. There were cults of the false gods of Egypt and Rome and Greece and the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, stood above the city. That temple had a thousand cult prostitutes in that temple. And they came down every night, every evening, to ply their trade in the city. And Corinth catered to sailors and traveling salesmen. And the name, the name Corinth actually became a synonym for immorality. The very word, if I pronounce it right in the Greek, Corinthizesthai, Corinthizesthai, the Greek phrase meant live like a Corinthian, and it meant to live with drunken and immoral debauchery. That was a common phrase. And one Greek writer said that if ever a Corinthian was shown upon a stage in a Greek play, he was shown drunk. That's, that's the, the reputation that Corinth had. The very One man, William Barclay, said the very name Corinth was synonymous with debauchery. Oh, I didn't even realize you were projecting that. Okay. So, someone could have looked at Corinth You can shut that down, Ray. Thank you. Maybe maybe you should project all my notes. Maybe maybe we'd learn better that way. Someone could have looked at Corinth and and thought that it was a place that was just too far gone. It's a junkyard. But one commentator I read said that Corinth's wickedness may have been the very reason Paul came there from Athens because God loves the lost and wants to save them. God loves us. He sent His Son. God so loved the world. He sent His Son. Jesus loves you. And He doesn't love us any less after we're saved. He loves us more, if anything, because we are the bride of Christ. We are His redeemed. So Paul may have said, I don't see a junkyard. I see a beautiful church. So in Acts 18, Paul stays. He comes to Athens or Corinth and he stays with a couple of Jewish believers that he had met there. He stays with Aquila and Priscilla. They had been forced to leave Rome because the Emperor Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So Paul gets there. He stays there. And during the week, he works as a tent maker. And Aquila and Priscilla are also tent makers. So he's living with them. And every Sabbath, Paul goes to the synagogue and he tries to persuade both Jews and Greeks to believe in Jesus. And the Jews oppose him and revile him. So at some point, Paul says, okay, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he goes right next door to the synagogue where a man named Titius Justus lives and Paul keeps on preaching the Gospel. And the synagogue leader 
actually, his name is Crispus, he and his whole family get saved. And many others are getting saved as Paul is sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. But there's, there's opposition. There's, there's people who do not like Paul being there. And one night, God gives Paul a vision and says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are My people. That's an interesting thing that God said because they were, these people were not yet saved. These were the drunkards. These were the immoral. These were the cult prostitutes. These were people living in sin. And God says, they're My people! Keep preaching the good news! I'm not going to let anyone harm you. Because I have many. See, God saw them as His people. He didn't see them as a junkyard. And so, it says in Acts 18.11, so He stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. So a year and a half, Paul stays there. Many get saved. The church of Corinth is born. And then Paul moves on to Ephesus where he wrote 1 Corinthians. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, he tells them I'm writing from Ephesus. But some of the Corinthian church members come to visit Paul and they say, Paul, we got problems. We got trouble in River City. We got, we got problems in, in Corinth. We got people in, living in immorality. We have people taking each other to court. Suing each other. We got people in factions. Some of them are saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Christ. We got, we got all kinds of things going on there. There are problems in the church. Isn't that amazing? Think about a church with problems. Who can imagine? <laughs> There's quarreling. There's. There's, they're abusing the spiritual gifts. People were standing up to prophesy saying Jesus is accursed. When I read about the problems in the Corinthian church, I think, man, our church has no problems. <laughs> we're doing great. Yet Paul has faith for them and calls them to arise to what they were in Christ. So Paul says, first of all, verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. This is a greeting. He's opening up a letter. He's identifying himself as the author of the letter. And in one sense, he's establishing his authority to address them. He had been called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So he had a right to talk about the problems they had. And I believe that Paul could have had faith for the church with all its problems when he remembered how God had called him. He said, I'm Paul called by God to be an apostle. And as Paul thought back to how God called him, it would have given him faith for them because he was persecuting the church. He hated Christianity. 
He hated Christians. He was arresting them. He stood by and gave His approval as Stephen was stoned. They threw Stephen's garments at his feet. He said, good. Good for him. Let him die. This is, not, this is a guy who did not love Jesus Christ at all. And yet God had called him, knocked him off his horse with a blinding light, revealed Himself to him. And Paul may have thought, hey, if God can call me a persecutor of the church, there's hope for this church in Corinth. He can change this church. And so when we're tempted to look down on others for their sins or be annoyed at their weaknesses, we should remember how God called us and saved us. Or if, 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 if we're tempted to despair or be discouraged because of our own failures and our own faults, we need to remember God called me. God changed me initially. God saved me. He's, he can keep changing me. So Paul, Paul may have not been thinking all this as he wrote this letter. I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking of all the possibilities that as he just writes, Paul called by God. But he must have reflected on it. I know he did because in other places he talks about it. So Paul had faith because he had seen what God did in his own life. But Paul also had faith for the church because of how he viewed the church. Paul viewed the church as God's church. And so in verse 2 he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul calls them the church of God. He doesn't say, to the church I started. To my church. What are you guys doing? I started you. No. He's saying you are God's church. Remember they'd been saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. He says, no. The church belongs to God. Remember how God had said, I have many in this city who are My people. Not Paul's people. Not Apollos' people. And so, right away, their allegiance to leaders, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about men. It's not about leaders. It's not about people with, who are gifted preachers or whatever. It's God's church. You're God's people. The church is God's creation and belongs to God. The church is not a man-made institution. It's not something that somebody thought up that said, boy, it would sure be good to get people together and have us all believe in God together and sing about God and you know, an institution like the Elks Club or something like that. No. The church is God's institution. God created it. The Bible says the church is Christ's body. The, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is those that God called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus cares about His church. He loves His church. He loves us individually. And He loves His church. He cares about His bride. 
You, you do something to a believer, you're doing it to Jesus. Remember how Jesus said, whoever gives, me, whoever gives one of these disciples of mine a glass of water, they're giving it to me. Whatever we do to the church, we do it to Jesus. Remember when Paul, when God knocked him off his horse, Acts 9, 4 and 5 says, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul had never seen Jesus personally. He was not persecuting Jesus personally. He was persecuting Christians. And yet, Jesus said, when you persecute the church, when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Me. That's how strongly Jesus feels about His church. You do something to another believer, positive or negative, you're doing it to Jesus. You give another believer a gift. You help someone out in need. You give to mission trip going to Africa. You give to someone who is hurting. You pray for someone who's hurting. You're doing that to Jesus. He is blessed by that. You may think, I, I just gave him a few bucks. I, you know, Jesus won't forget it. He won't forget a single glass of water to give to someone. You slander somebody you slander a brother and sister or, or sister, you're doing that to Jesus too. I mean, this, this puts a healthy fear of the Lord into me. You grumble about another brother or sister, you grumble about your dad, you grumble about your son who's a believer, you're doing it to Jesus. Jesus cares about his church. So much. See, there is, I don't know if this is new, but there is a, seems like a growing trend, uh, especially maybe younger folks who say, I don't really need the church. I don't really need a church. I can, I can worship outside the church. I, years ago, Christy and I met some people who were in a, a rock band, Christian rock band. And I, I said, where do you go to church? Or, and they said, oh, we don't, we don't have to be a church. This band is our church. You know, there's, there's people who feel like, ah, I can get all I need from watching television. No, we need the church. Jesus cares about His church. The church is the most important thing on earth to Jesus and to God. The church is the most important thing on earth to God. More important than our government. Uh, the, 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 the earthly governments are never called the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. More important than anything else on earth. So Jesus cares Paul calls them the church of God in Corinth. So in he's saying you're a local part of God's church. The church of God in Corinth. You know, in this, in this area, there are many churches, 
many churches that believe in Jesus, worship Him, preach the Gospel, yet ultimately there is only one church. The church of God in Indiana, or however God sees it, this region. There's only one church. And so over the past few years, we have had a pastor's luncheon a couple times a year, and Joe and Bob and I will, will affirm to all these other pastors in town that, hey, we're all on the same team. There's no competition. When your church is blessed, we rejoice. We're glad to hear that, that God is blessing Word of grace. We rejoice to hear that there are people who are benefiting and, and growing at the summit. Now, you know, there, there are slight differences in us, but we're all part of Jesus' one church. And that's what we've said. We're all on the same team. There's no competition. I, I've said we have so many unbelievers in this area that our church could take 20 new churches. Our town could take 20 new churches. So that's how Paul viewed it. We rejoice when God does good things in His church. And Paul also said, here's how I see you, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Paul says, this is who you are. Sanctified, the Greek word means set apart as holy. This is our position in Christ. This is how God sees us in Christ. The second we believe in Him, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are set apart. Now this is different than progressive sanctification, how God throughout our lifetime makes us more and more holy, more and more like Christ. Our position in Christ when we believe in Him as we is that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are set apart in Christ Jesus. And that's how Paul said he viewed them. And that's what they were. And so, we are to begin to pursue Christ and follow Christ and act like what we are in Christ as we live for Jesus. So God says, you're saved when you believe in Me. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to cause that to be fulfilled in your life as you live out your day-to-day life. So be what you are. Live what I say you are. Act like what you are. And so Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we are sanctified, we're to put on holiness. We're to attempt to obey Jesus in every single thing and become more and more holy. It's, like the, it's sort of like the story of the Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain. This is not a perfect illustration, but it's like this. These two boys, in the story, there are two boys. One's a pauper and one is heir to the throne of England. And somehow they meet and they look just like each other. And they're fascinated by each other's life. And so they decide to switch places. And so the pauper begins to live as if he's the prince. And he has a hard time in the story, I guess, he has a hard time learning to deal with the court customs and manners. And his fellow nobles and palace staff think the prince has an illness that has caused him to have memory loss. 
because he's not acting like who he is. And so that that's kind of a picture of us. We are now in God's sight, set apart, holy, and now we need to learn how to act like it. We need to be who we are. So Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. Oh, church, arise. Be holy. Be what you are. He says you're also part of the church in the world. The church universal. He says called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He says you're called to be saints. And, and that Greek word really has the meaning, the fundamental meaning of being different. It's also related to being holy. But it also means different. Uh, one commentator says that a temple in the first century was called holy because it was different from other buildings. So we're different because we're set apart. We're sanctified. So believers are to be different than the world or distinct from the world. So Paul is calling them. He's saying, you are called to be different. You've been sanctified. You're different along with everybody else who calls on Jesus' name. And as I was studying this, I was just thinking, how are we to be different? You know, we're not to live in sinful ways like those around us. And I was just thinking, I, I wanted to ask the question, would your non-Christian neighbors see you as any different than anybody else? Would the, would the people you work with see you as different? And I don't mean weird. Would your relatives see you as different on Christmas Day? Would your relatives have seen you serving the family in the way nobody else did? I used to think that when we'd have big family gatherings, because I, I would always, after the meal, I would always go and I'd lay down on the couch and I would go into a coma. And I remember God challenging me, Mark, no, you should be serving the family more than anybody else. Let them see that you're different. Oh, church, arise. We're part of the God's church in the world. And so Paul, Paul had faith for them because he viewed them as an object of grace. And so in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is God's undeserved favor and kindness. Paul, Paul says, you are recipients of God's grace and I'm wishing God's grace and I'm greeting you with grace, God's favor and kindness. Like we heard this morning when Mary shared, God has abundant goodness stored up for us. Paul doesn't start off by saying, hey, you bunch of losers. He says, no, grace to you. In verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. They had The kindness of God had been heaped upon them. That's how Paul viewed them. He didn't say, I, I, I'm writing to you because you are the worst bunch of sinners I've ever heard of. This is amazing when you think about it that he writes these things. 
Is that the way we look at one another? Is that the way you look at yourself? I'm a recipient of God's incredible grace. And He'll keep giving me the grace to change. And, and I would recommend if you haven't heard it, listen to Bob's message from a couple weeks ago on grace to change. It's really good. Um, but we should look at one another as recipients of the kindness, the undeserved kindness of God who have the power of God at work in their lives to change. Paul saw them as rich in Christ, not rich in problems. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were enriched. Paul sees them as having the riches of Christ's grace. All kinds of riches that resulted in spiritual gifts. All speech. All knowledge. They were not lacking. He says, you're not lacking in any gift. God pours out gifts on the church. And so Paul did not see the Corinthian church as a mass of problems, but as a mass of God's grace. He starts off by looking at all the good God had done in them. All the gifts they were using. Even though they were messing up in the way they were using them. God says, oh, I just see all your gifts. I just think, man, God gives so many gifts. All kinds. Spectacular gifts like prophecy, healing, miracles, but He gives non-spectacular gifts. Gifts of leading, serving, giving, administration. I mean, The, the design team. These, these are the gifts of God we see. The worship team. If the design team picked out all the colors for the chairs. I love it that the chairs are not all the same color. That's the gift of God in operation. I could go on and on about your gifts and how you use them. But I've got to move on a little bit here. Paul viewed the church also as the object of God's faithfulness. He viewed the church as the object of God's faithfulness. Now, this is an incredible verse when you think about the Corinthian church. Look at this. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. What an incredible statement. I would have said, Paul, are you crazy? Do you see all the problems this church has? Do you see the sins? And you're saying God will sustain them to the end guiltless in the day of Christ Jesus? See, God is at work in our lives and the Bible says what He is doing is making each one of us like Jesus Christ. And He is the one who is doing it. It's not because of our own perseverance and strength. It's because God will sustain us to the end. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to sustain you and work in you and finish the good work He began in you? 
Why could Paul say that? Because the Corinthians were so strong? No. He says, God is faithful. That's why he knew they would be sustained to the end. Guiltless. Because God is faithful. He didn't say you are faithful. He said God is faithful. And He had called them into the fellowship of His Son and He would complete the work He'd begun in Him. We're having our kitchen redone. And it's a man named John Plesnicker who a number of you know, is he's working on our kitchen and it's all torn up. He tore out all the old cabinets. He had to rewire and move a number of the sockets. He pulled out the stove, refrigerator, and dishwasher. Christy and I have been living out of the microwave and the kindness of some of you who have made some wonderful meals for us. But um, day after day, the kitchen is just a mess. There's dust, sawdust all over the floor. Everything's torn up. Um, It just seems like it's a, a long process. And um, day after day, John comes over and he works on it faithfully, diligently. And you know what? I know our kitchen's going to get done. I mean, obviously, I don't know the future. God could do anything. But as, as much as I can know from a human standpoint, I know. Why? Because is it because I think I'm some kind of carpenter? No. <laughs> It's because John is skilled and John is faithful and John comes every day and John does the work and John is looking around and John is being careful and he is measuring and he is working. That's why I know the kitchen's going to be done because I know his character. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The New American Standard puts it this way, I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God began the work. God is faithful. God will finish it. See, that, that helps me so much when I'm, when I'm maybe struggling with another believer or whatever. I, I just think, no, God's going to finish His work. In that. At times when, when we're counseling people, they come in, they may feel like they have these huge problems. I just think, God started this work. He's going to finish it. So I can encourage you. God, you, you keep following Jesus. You keep praying. You keep asking Him. He's going to finish the work. I can remember one time a young couple came into my office and they had lots of marriage problems. And they were pretty young in the Lord. New believers. And I said, you guys keep following the Lord and five years from now, you're not going to believe what He's done in your marriage. Five years later, they were still in our church and God had done wonderful things in their marriage. God's not done with us. And that's how we need to view one another. That's why we can have patience with one another. That's how husbands and wives can have patience with each other. That's how we can have patience with, with people who are different than us. Because God, someday they'll be like Jesus Christ and we will be in heaven with them, side by side, worshiping Jesus 
I'll be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and they will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And we will be praising Jesus together because God is faithful. Oh, church, arise. You are sanctified in Jesus. You've been set apart. And He's going to be faithful to sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And let's sing, O church, arise. Let's stand and let's pray.